0: Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And today you're joining us for our recap and discussion of Wizard and Glass, book four in The Dark Tower by Stephen King. Oh my God. Chad, what'd you think about this one?
1: I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I think I loved it as much as the last one.
0: I think I liked it a little bit more. This is my second time reading it. and um, Oh, really? Because you I liked forgot. it less? Yeah, I forgot just how heart-wrenching This book is...
1: It made me cry.
0: Yeah, same. Stephen King managed to fit an entire Western love story into this book. There's lost and hopeless love. There's gunfights. There's cowboys. There's witches. Mysterious magical orbs. There's terrifying
1: swamps that eat people alive. It's riddled with depth and meaning, too. Like, if you want to get deep with it, you can get deep with it. Also I've come to the conclusion more like the realization that Stephen King doesn't like any sort of preamble to love you're either in love or you're not in love there's no like warm up phase you know he's not a he's not a pregame uh <laughs> Foreplay sort of guy. He's just like instant love. We're in love now.
0: See, okay, so here's the thing with that because I think I know what you're talking about. And usually I agree that like instant love is kind of like a, I'm, I'm not, I'm usually a little bit put off by it, but Stephen King did instant love between two teenagers. This is his Romeo and Juliet,
1: right? Well, like, he also no- did it with. Eddie and Susanna, which is why I say that's like all right. I've known of these love stories okay, are that's like, that's true. That's very ah, valid. That's over. super valid, actually, yeah. But you're right. Teenage love does have a propensity to be like an on-off switch, for sure.
0: Well, we I want to get into that a little bit more after we're done with the recap, because that's a big part of this book, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, The, the cotet is pulled even tighter together by the end of this book. We get to see so much more of Roland. You know, in The Gunslinger, he was this mysterious, brooding, kind of off-putting character. And now, we've had a ton of his backstory revealed to us and we can't help but feel the same as the rest of the his quartet. like I'm loyal to Roland now I'm attached to him in spite of everything he's done wrong in spite of everything he, that he blames himself for I mean like do you feel the same way
1: oh 100% there's even a specific moment which we'll mention later here but there's a specific moment that I was like and I forgive him for some of the things that I judged him for before now that this has been put into perspective and I understand where he's coming from and he's He's a much more fleshed out, understandable character to me. Um, Before, where he was kind of this just like cold operator willing to do anything for the sake of his goal. And it was like, kind of turned me off from like really committing to liking him. Now I get it. He's humanized. He's humanized. Yes, well put.
0: I, I wonder how this book was received when it first came out. I mean, imagine waiting five years after this absolute monster book that is The Wasteland.
1: I can't wait to have the story continue. <laughs> then, yeah, you, you, get, you get that cliffhanger resolved at the beginning of
0: this book and that's great, but the main story like totally grinds to a complete halt. What, like 150 pages into a 900 Maybe. page yeah. book? I, I can definitely see why people could be annoyed, but I mean, the story that it shifts to is so incredible. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me, but I am gonna say though, our plan was to read The Wind Through the Keyhole right after this, but I think we're going to have to go straight to the walls of the Kala because oh, I want yeah? you to get more of this. This is your first time through this. Wind Through the Keyhole is another, like, Roland backstory story.
1: Oh, okay. Filling in his past. Right.
0: So, and it's, I, I still haven't read it, but I'm sure it's really good. But we need to get a move on here. I want totally. I want to get through Walls of the Kala and then into Sana Maybe let's Susanna. put two
1: pages. There are two two pages, two books between uh, us and another Roland backstory. I think
0: we should just finish the whole all seven books and then read Win Through the Keyhole because I looked at some testimonials on Reddit and people were like the best way to do it is to read Went Through the Keyhole after you finish the whole series because it's like revisiting old friends. There's like tiny little things littered in through Win Through the Keyhole that are they're not really spoilers but they're kind of nods to what happens in the seventh book. So I think mm. I think since it's your first time through, let's just read all seven at a clip and then read Win Through the Keyhole. We need to push through this story. Okay. You know, we're spending a lot of time with Roland's backstory. <laughs> which Roland's backstory wanna to get to
1: the expanse.
0: Yeah. Um and I mean I wanna get we're gonna read Win Through the Keyhole right after the seventh book. Like we're not gonna right. take a break or anything, but I think it'll just it's like two hundred and fifty pages long. Okay, like, we'll it's just nothing. crush it. Yeah. Um but anyway, let's uh let's get that's the intro, let's get right to the recap and then start talking about this massive, amazing book.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: The book begins with Roland's quartet barreling through the wastelands, engaged in a riddle contest with the insane train, Blaine the Mono. Blaine answers Roland's fair-day riddles and all of the riddles from Jake's book, Riddle-de-Dum, without pause. The group is resigned to their fate when Eddie finally stumps Blaine, using jokes that Roland had previously declared unworthy and foolish. Blaine's mechanical brain is fried from the effort involved in answering Eddie's riddles. He continues down the tracks, but slows down enough for the group to survive the final impact Blaine had planned to use to kill them all. The group wanders into the city of Topeka and realizes that a plague called Captain Trips has ravaged the world. Eddie finds a new wheelchair for Susanna, And they discover that this Topeka is subtly different from their own. There is a baseball team called the Kansas City Monarchs, a car named the Takuro Spirit, and a soda brand, Nozzala. Realizing they have left the path of the beam, their only choice is to continue in the same direction that Blaine was heading, along I-70. There is a thinny along the road that reminds Roland of the one he encountered before in the Barony of Mejas. On their way to a mysterious building in the distance, the Quartet rests along the side of the road, and Roland tells them his story. Roland's tale of his youth is of his lost love, Susan Delgado, and his first Quartet. Roland is sent east from Gilead with his friends Cuthbert and Elaine after his early test of manhood. He was sent away in order to prevent him from being killed by Martin Broadcloak. The three boys traveled to the town of Hambry in the barony of Magus and use the names Will Dearborn Arthur Heath, and Richard Stockworth. There, Roland meets Susan Delgado, who is being essentially sold to Thorin, the mayor of Hambry, as something the locals called a gilly. The group is tasked to count goods of all kinds that the affiliation may need in the fight against a rebel leader named John Farson, the good man. They quickly realize that all is not as it seems. The presence of mercenaries known as the Big Coffin Hunters is strange for such a small town, and there are far more horses than they have been told to expect. Meanwhile, Roland and Susan's love grows. Susan breaks her promise to Mayor Thorin and her aunt, Cordelia Delgado, to remain a virgin until she goes to his bed as his Jilly. They sleep together and Rhea of the Coos nearly ruins all with her hypnotic suggestion to Susan. She had told Susan to cut off all her hair after she loses her virginity, but Roland was able to prevent her from doing so. Rhea does eventually discover their affair and sets out to get her revenge upon Susan. Mayor Thorin is murdered by Roy de Pape, one of the coffin hunters, who leaves Cuthbert's bird skull, known as the Lookout, at the scene. Roland and his cotette are arrested and taken to jail for killing Thorin, but they manage to escape with the help of Susan. The Cotet sets out for battle against Farson's men. Roland tells Susan to hide with Shimi in a hut in the bad grass and wait for his return. If he does not return, she is to take his guns to his father and tell him what happened. Roland's plan has two stages. Ambush the convoy led by the big coffin hunters to take the pink bend and lead Latigo into a trap in Eyebolt Canyon. Roland and his Cotet spot the convoy heading towards Sitgo's oil derricks, and they fall in behind them. Cuthbert silently picks off several men with his slingshot. Once one of the riders notice the attack, Roland and Elaine start picking off the rest. De Pape is killed in the battle and Roland personally kills Eldred Jonas, the failed gunslinger, and recovers the glass ball. After that they head toward Latigo's encampment. Elaine uses the machine gun he got from Fran Lengil to kill many of the men and light the tankers on fire. Then, They break off their attack and head towards Eyebolt Canyon. Roland successfully lures Latigo and his men into the canyon and lights the brush in front of the entrance to trap them in. Cuthbert and Elaine are almost caught in the thinnie before Roland snaps them out of it. The Cotet escapes by climbing out, leaving Farson's men to die. While waiting for Roland, Susan is discovered by the big coffin hunters and taken back to town by Clay Reynolds. Susan is held prisoner at Mayor Thorin's house but freed by Olive Thorin, his sister. Her attempt to escape is futile though, as she is captured once more by Rhea, who had previously seen her escape in the glass. She is then taken through town and burned as a Reap Day sacrifice in a public display. Roland sees all this in the wizard's glass and is devastated, blaming himself for Susan's death. He does not say a word until Cuthbert and Elaine bring him back to Gilead. It is morning when Roland concludes his story, The kattet continues down I-70 and reaches the Emerald City, a city remarkably similar to the one from The Wizard of Oz. It is here that they encounter Andrew Quick, the TikTok man, posing as Oz, and Randall Flagg, who departs as Roland tries to kill him with Jake's Ruger. Flagg leaves Merlin's grapefruit in his place. Roland takes his kattet into the glass to show them the story of what happened when he returned to Gilead. He looked into the pink glass before he returned it to his father, Stephen and discovered a plot in which his mother, Gabrielle, kills his father. He goes to her to give her the choice of exile or repentance. It is unknown which one she would have chosen because Roland was tricked by the glass into believing that she was Rhea and accidentally killed her. She was carrying a belt that she had made for Roland, presumably as a peace offering. When the quartet leaves the glass, they find themselves miles past the Emerald City. They reassure Roland of their commitment to his quest and continue on toward the land of Thunderclap, ever striding toward the Dark Tower.
1: My goodness. My goodness indeed. Okay, I'm gonna start with, what the hell sort of plague is called Captain Trips?
0: Ha! I'm so like, happy that I know about this. Whoa, well, there's an answer? Oh yeah, that's the plague from The Stand. Oh. Yeah, that's what they call okay. it in The Stand. It's Why is it
1: called Captain Trips? Uh, I can't remember. I read the stand a while.
0: No, it's like a, I think it's the the one of the um, people in the military that had first um, let it out or discovered it or something. Oh, like that. I okay. Can't remember it was named it
1: after a person. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, the stand begins uh, with a person that works for the military in this like complex, like rounding up his family. Cause he's like, oh my God, we let this freaking virus out. We gotta go, you know? Um, <laughs> oh. That's like how the book starts. It's really, you should read the stand. Oh
1: my God, that book is stand amazing. Okay, it's going in my- uh It's like the,
0: anyway, but we're not talking about the stand. Well, we can kind of, because like a lot of Stephen King books are linked together, you know?
1: That's what you keep telling me. Give me the 20 second while I type it into my phone here.
0: Well, I mean, it's just like the, the Captain Trips. Uh, it's, I'm not totally sure if the Topeka in Wizard and Glass is the Topeka in the stand or if Captain Trips is something, because like Jake kind of mentions it could come into our world, right? And Roland's like, yeah, I mean, it it probably could. So in my mind, the stand takes place in our world, but Captain Trips had kind of like migrated through because the Dark Tower was breaking down. So that's kind of like how I see it, but the stand could be. And then there's that other reference where they're walking through Topeka and they see like a note on a, on a windshield of a car that says you need to go to Nebraska. And then like the, the dark man is in the West or something like that. Do you remember that little tiny snippet? It was so, it's only for people that have read the stand.
1: <laughs> it's really, oh, okay. it's really obscure. There are a few things like that. I'm like, what is that sentence? Yeah. yeah okay. If you had
0: read the stand, um, it would make a lot more sense, but I mean, I loved it cause I'm a fan, you know, but you don't need to know it or anything. But sure. it's, just, it's just a reference to the stand.
1: Well, and I really like books that have a little bit more depth for those who are wanting to kind of sink their teeth into the universe and the story and the setting. It's nice to have depth there should you want it. I don't like required depth where it's like it forces you to be like, I really have to nerd out hard on this in order to even kind of understand and keep up with it. I just like having the option to and Stephen King, it sounds like does an extremely good job of like lacing in those little Easter eggs. Like if you should want to become a huge Stephen King nerd and unearth all of my little connections here, uh, you can, you know, so I really like when uh, they're being gold defined should I want to get out the shovel.
0: Totally. Yeah. And there's gold in there. Um, But like you said, you don't need to know every single thing to really enjoy this book, you know? Right. Captain Trips is just, it's just a cool thing. I mean, it's actually not that cool. It kills like 98% of the people on the planet, but it's a pretty cool (laughs) nod to Captain Trips for sure.
1: Another very cool nod that I super loved was uh, the wizard being called Flag. He's like, no, my name is Flag. And I was like, oh, you know, what that eyes is? of the dragon. Yeah. yeah, and
0: also the stand. Yeah. Oh,
1: and also the flag is in the stand. Yeah. Oh wow, he's the all over the place, dude. Because I don't think that flag dies at the end of the eyes of the dragon, does he? He's just driven away. Yeah, he's just
0: cast out. I think that's the end of eyes of the dragon. I haven't read that in a little while.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure. It's how skilled is Stephen King to be able to write with such different voices? Like the eyes of the dragon is a very differently written. Book like if you were to give me both of those books or like three books and have be like which two of these books were written by the same person I would not pick those two.
0: Well, it's interesting. I mean, if you read something like eleven twenty two sixty three, it reads way different than The Dark Tower. It's first person. It's a whole different set of events. Uh, the main character is not like Roland or Eddie or Jake or anybody. He's his own guy. You know, um, mm. so he is yeah very versatile. Um, I have some questions for you, though, because this is your first time through. My initial question is, did you notice similarities between Roland's quartets? He's got two quartets.
1: Sure. The one with Cuthbert and Elaine and Susan. And And Shimi. And Shimi. Yeah. And Shimi is the oi.
0: Yeah. Shimi is kind of like oi in that he's like way more than he appears to be. You know? Right. He's extremely helpful. Uh, but everybody kind of underestimates him, just like people Very underestimate. Loyal. Yeah, people underestimate Billy Bumblers. People underestimate Shimi. I would say, this is just my thing. You can tell me if you agree with this or not, but I would say that uh, Eddie and Cuthbert are similar. They're, Eddie is kind of like Roland's new Cuthbert. Uh, Susanna and Roland
1: says that many times throughout the box. Right, yeah, even in drawing of the three. References. Yeah.
0: Um, and then Elaine is, uh, uh, Susanna is Roland's new Elaine you know, a little more Mm -hmm. level-headed, cooler, is is kind of the cool head in the gang, you know, that's kind of Susanna's role. I would say that uh, Jake is a stand-in for uh, for Susan. Roland loves Jake, like Roland, Roland, Jake is Roland's new sacrifice, like Roland's new, it's the biggest obstacle between him and the tower, I would say. Um, and and he the,
1: even let both of them die. Well, at least in his own mind. That's you know? another
0: thing I wanted to ask you about. Is like, okay, so Roland absolutely lets Jake die. He literally absolutely. lets yeah, go no. of him. And it's like a, <laughs> Roland kills Jake. does like doesn't let him die. He kills
1: little him. lion hanging on the cliff, and he's like, let <laughs> them fall into the stampede. <laughs> but with
0: Susan, like, do you think that that's Roland's fault? No, no, yeah, I, don't. I don't either. Yeah,
1: no, it, it happened, but it, I don't see a way that he could have been successful getting gotten everyone out that he did and still made it uh without like knowing the future or anything you know so no i don't think that that was his fault
0: and he he still had a mission to accomplish too right and in fact it
1: had just become a much larger mission because he had just gotten taken on that little uh trip by the golden wizard glass or the ruby red wizard glass
0: that kind of leads into my next question though it's like are you on Cuthbert's side When because Cuthbert is pretty upset with Roland, obviously, he's saying, you know, you have made uh, a virtue of irresponsibility or something like that. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly what the phrase was, but, you know, Cuthbert is extremely upset with Roland. And I wanted to ask you this is kind of a nuanced question, I guess. But do you think that Cuthbert would have felt the same way if he wasn't just a little bit jealous about the entire situation, too?
1: You know, yes. I mean, I was. Frustrated with Roland? Oh, for yeah. sure. I was like, you are not, you're like disrespecting your friends. They look up to you as the leader. You're the gunslinger here. And right now you're the gunslinger in skill only, not in like the morality and like the stand up stalwart, no budge leader that you need to be. It's like, no, you've allowed yourself to kind of get led off and fall into the passion of love, which is great, but you need to control it. You have much greater responsibilities here beyond just falling in love and you know if it was truly if their mission hadn't have turned out to be anything more <clears throat> they wouldn't have unearthed unearthed this plot then yeah okay whatever do whatever you want man but like it wasn't and they were well aware of this plot brewing and he needed to be way more on his game so if anything could be led to you know susan's demise and it being his fault i think a little bit more like working with his team being more upfront, being like Less of, I have a plan, and then going off to shag behind the woodshed. You know, like, how about you tell them what the plan is? Talk about it with the group. I really hate it when people in stories and just in real life are like, don't worry about it. Like, I have a plan. It's like, well, maybe... Communicate
0: that with us, maybe? Yeah,
1: maybe I have something inside of my brain that might be able to help your plan, or vice versa. Like, I don't know. It just seems arrogant and disrespectful.
0: Right, but I mean, should Roland really be being held to the standard of a I mean, because he is technically a gunslinger, but he did it way too early also. yeah, Like Roland's 14. Like that is a baby. That is a child. He's a tiny child. Yeah, he is a child. (laughs) And so, I mean, I think I I can sympathize with Cuthbert, but holding Roland to that standard as well, especially because like Cuthbert and Elan both have never been in this kind of love before. Right. And so I think that it's, It's just kind of rich of cuthbert to be like you have to act perfectly right now when he doesn't understand at all what it's like to feel the way the roland feels now right of
1: 14 year old love you remember those feelings oh yeah i
0: remember that like yeah Uh, it's uh it's rough
1: so yeah like while i hate on him and take cuthbert's side i am certainly like understanding and forgiving of the fact that like he's a 14 year old right
0: yeah this he is a baby and they're all they're all babies
1: babbies (laughs) <laughs> that I mean, even his dad is like, "I'm sending you away." When most boys still like cry or without their mother or something like that, you know, it's like they remind you, which I really like actually, because lots of times I I forget that these kids in stories are ten years old going through this just because the situations that they're put in and then the way they're they're you know responding to it and they're being written by someone much older, so they kind of have just get given this sense of being much older, and I often forget, and then like halfway through the book I'm reminded and it kind of like messes me up a little bit but Stephen King like keeps reminding me like hey remember he's a kid remember he's a kid and I'm like oh yeah oh yeah okay cool cool thanks you know
0: yeah speaking of them being kids uh did you read the afterword for this yeah Stephen uh-huh. King wrote you know it's funny uh in that afterword he says like he couldn't remember at this late age of 45 or whatever what it feels like to be so young and so in love but I thought he did a phenomenal job at it i mean Roland and Susan they're so stupid sometimes they like Uh, they're they're idiots yeah they they, and you know they're they're just you know they're going to get caught and they kind of know it too and I think that's probably how exciting it is for them too it's not explicitly said but we all know right um oh yeah Roland is completely blinded by these feelings but he's he's never had these feelings before I mean you do such absolutely idiotic things when this is happening to you for the first time and uh and king really captured that it's just so much more sad considering the situation that they were in kind of like you said i mean in most other scenarios this whole affair that they're having would have been much more innocent but oh, they yeah. were doomed from the start there's too many other things
1: going on that are just oh, it's so sad it's, it's so sad and what's funny with that sort of love is it's like. You're kind of dumb on purpose like you're, you're not <laughs> you're not put out of your head like I just wasn't thinking like that's what we say but truly you were you knew it you just like didn't allow yourself to think about it because you knew it so much that you were in the wrong or you shouldn't be doing that or you're being a complete nitwit Um, you just like kind of choose to be dumb on purpose because the other side of that coin is so shiny <laughs> well I mean
0: when you're that young and in love for the first time and you're getting those feelings for the first time, not only are you very new to those feelings, but you're also new to the potential consequences of those feelings. So like that's... as you get older, you start to realize like, Oh, Hey, maybe reel it back just a little bit. Evan, like, you know, like, yes, you really like this person and that's great, but maybe you shouldn't just dive all the way in. Cause remember what happened last time it was like right. super <laughs> traumatic and terrible. And you ended up in a relationship you probably shouldn't have been in. And you know, it's like now, after a while you start getting that experience and start understanding the actual real world consequences. You know, I didn't have a team of cowboy mercenaries on my ass about it. And I didn't have an entire town that was going to burn the love of my life. At or this a state. highly
1: trained operator. <laughs>
0: right. But, but there are still consequences to your actions. And at the ripe age of fucking 14 that you Man. are not thinking about those con And it's like, that's one of the things too, is that Roland, and Susanna, uh, Susan, uh, Susan, seem to kind of, on a superficial level, kind of understand that what they were doing was going to lead to something bad. It's said a couple times that they know that if they get caught, it's going to end really badly for them.
1: Right, that whole "love me, then just love me" is kind of yeah, the if you love the me, then phrase love me. that wraps up like "damn the consequences." I with mean, this I love Titanic that style hookup, you know. This cannot end well. We both know it.
0: <laughs> but they didn't know how badly it was going to end, though. Like yeah. Roland didn't think that Susan was going to be burned like a witch at the stake in front of the entire
1: town. I didn't think she was going to. I until she was ash, I was sure she would be rescued.
0: In that same vein that you're talking about, did you notice how King kept telling us, though, all the like how this was going to end badly? Like I don't know if you noticed that, but he does mm-hmm. that in his books a lot. Actually, a
1: lot. That's funny. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was um, reading it this morning and my computer was in a different room. But I remember wanting to take the note of that exact thing of I like how he'll like mention some line and later he would regret this. You know, he'll say those little lines. You're like, oh, juicy. You know, it yeah. pulls you in like I'm going to pay extra attention, you know. Well, and it kind of breaks a lot of rules
0: of storytelling, right? You shouldn't give away the farm like immediately, but he does it all (laughs) the time. And it builds up a certain flavor of tension, right? It's like now you're kind of in on it and you're like, how is this? Wait, what? There's no way there's no way like, oh, but he did say it.
1: He does it just enough that it allows the reader to feel superior, which we all love, but at the same time, it doesn't ruin the story by giving us too much advanced notice, you know?
0: Yeah, there's a line right before Susan is burned at the stake. I'm just going to keep saying that where he says they didn't know this was the last time that they would embrace,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: and you're and you're just stuck there. You I you don't believe it. You're like, there's no, no possible way that they're going to do this to her. They're not going to I was like,
1: well, they just well, they will be separated or something like their their tails will just go off in different directions. That made me cry. Oh, yeah. I just stop. I called the buddy who's just like always really one of those positive people. And just like, I was just like, I need to talk to someone who's having a good day right oh now. It kind of messed me up, dude. It's was just really like,
0: hard to read. It's super well, he, hard to read.
1: Stephen King just to like make sure it really stick it in there hard right before, <laughs> like minutes before Roland learns via magical um, acid trip orb that she's pregnant man like he he had to had to teach him that one too so it was like full blow not just like a a bat on the head but like two bats bam 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 just uh
0: yeah and it's like this mob mentality that's the worst part of not the worst part but that's one of the really terrible parts about all of it is that this is a town that susan has grown up in her entire life she knows all of these people intimately and on a dime they
1: all decide that it's okay to burn her alive for what for what for for like the most croniest old person the one person most likely to lie that no one would even have inside their home because of they don't want to be associated with her off of her word and it even says right before she gets thrown in the fire and the townsfolk kind of had this moment of realization like we're about to burn someone that we've grown up with and it's like if they would have waited one more second, they probably would have pulled her out, but it, it was too late, you know? And it was just yeah. like, Ugh.
0: man, It kind of reminded me of, um, I wonder if he had this in mind, but like Shirley Jackson's like The Lottery. Did you read that in school? No. Have you heard of it? Um, no, I haven't. It's like a really famous, uh, I think it's like a short story. I don't know if it's a novella. It's a, it's a short story by Shirley Jackson. This town, once a year, has a lottery, and whoever gets picked is stoned to death. And it's this ritual that they have. And it kind of mm-hmm. reminded me of that. Yeah, where it's just this normal, pretty normal town. I mean, for most of this book, everybody's, you know, there's a bar, people get drunk, people hang out. There's a lot of the same makings of a pretty normal town. And everyone's like fairly nice to each other, you know. And then this happens.
1: Just is it one time a year?
0: Yeah. I think in the lottery, it's once a year. But uh, oh,
1: I don't know if, I don't
0: know if Hambry has ever burned anybody alive. But
1: what's the purpose in the book as to why they do that? In the lottery? Yeah, in the lottery.
0: Uh, I'm not sure. I can't remember, mm. I read it in high school. We talked about it a lot, but I was probably not paying attention. should probably yeah. read it again, you know? <laughs> but I just remember the way that, that it made me feel. It was like this feeling of, I was like indignant. I was I couldn't believe this was actually happening. Yeah, I couldn't believe that this town had got together and did something so barbaric and so terrible, like for nothing, for, right. I mean, if you really look at what this situation actually is, all this girl did was sleep with somebody as a teenager that's it right they didn't even have any proof of it but even if they did it's still not a transgression as the reader at least i'm sitting here like she did nothing the fact that this town expects her to sleep with like the 60 year old man who's already married and just like be bought and paid for basically like cattle like that's already bad enough and then to burn her alive because she didn't go through with it
1: well i mean i think they blamed her for murdering um a couple people as well the old lady did two two townsfolk i think
0: did they actually blame her for the actual murder or did they i think I, it
1: was yeah i thought they
0: blamed roland for it did they end up blaming her for it is that well, what it no, was? they blamed
1: roland and crew for um oh, the, Thorin the mayor's murder but there was someone else that got murdered she actually that they did murder
0: the, the it was the chief of police or the, she did the, yeah the, yeah the sheriff or whatever yeah she actually <laughs> yeah. did yeah yeah okay yeah, okay actually now you mentioned yeah. it. it's not for yeah. but they still shouldn't have burned her but oh and yeah the... she did kill that guy <laughs> I mean you know <laughs> <laughs>
1: which was a great scene man yeah that was a really good scene oh gosh sure. and I love how like she like missed first off like Stephen King has this really really clever and like interesting way of And kind of realistic in my mind of having his climactic scenes like that have amazingly lucky, awesome circumstances that are very fortunate, like most stories, but also interwoven with those are things that are amazingly unlucky. And it's kind of real life ish because in real life, you know, you always make these plans and, you know, it's like, what's the old quote, like men plan and God laughs, you know, and it's like that kind of happens. We always make plans and they're never the way we think they're going to be. That whole night of climax after climax after climax, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of really awesome, lucky plans that work out great. There's also a lot of really unlucky things that happen, like them getting jumped right out of the gate, you know? What did
0: you think about that scene, kind of early on in Roland's story where they're in the bar in the um, Traveler's Rest. Uh, They kind of like get the jump on the Coffin Hunters.
1: It's like the initial. When he's about kind to make of... shimmy, shimmy uh, lick, lick the floor. Yeah, with totally. yeah Or clean his boots with his tongue. That's what yeah. it is. uh it was awesome. It was radical. We needed a scene to show us like these kids aren't just like hot shit striding around like you know they're 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 actually the real thing you know they've they've got it that one and then you shows you into the mind of the other guys where he's like and I have decided that I think that he's gonna die too you know <laughs> like, yeah
0: uh, did you listen to this on audiobook.
1: A lot of it. Yeah,
0: Yeah, me too. Frank Muller. I want to take a little bit of a sidetrack here to talk about Frank Muller for a second, because he deserves to be talked about. If any of you are listening, you've never heard him narrate an audiobook. He is my number one favorite audiobook narrator. I think he's one of the best that's ever been. Unfortunately, he died in 2008 after getting into a motorcycle accident, which is really, really sad. Oh, man.
1: What a loss! Yeah,
0: uh, Wolves of the Calla, the next book in this series, is dedicated to Frank Muller.
1: So, who does the does some of the books come after that, or does he do all Yeah, up
0: George Goodell does the next ones. Uh, George Man. Goodell actually did The Gunslinger as well, I think, um, but I'm I kind can't of remember. Sad. The... <laughs> yeah, I know because George Goodell does a good Frank. job. But yeah, Frank Muller is. Uh, he also does The Talisman, which is another really excellent Stephen King book. His raspy. Yeah, voice, like. like and then Roland went outside, yeah.
1: and then you went... have forgotten the face of your father. Like he just has this commanding, you know, and he's like, "That's the voice of a king." You're like, "That was the voice of a king, Frank." Roland's <laughs> guns crashed, like the way yeah. that
0: he's, it's just like,
1: damn. And his little dude, slimy men, who are all on a western, they're kind of gross. And oh yeah, what bad, you think about you know? the <laughs> way that they talk
0: in, in, like in the barony? You know, like ah, oh, so it, it, it does, so it does, so
1: like... it does, so it does. Yeah, <laughs> you can. <laughs> oh, you and the bastards. voice. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> bastards. His, uh it's I read in his voice now. Yeah, like me his, too. I, totally, I yeah. his like he did such a good job that, and that's rare. Typically, I'm a little arrogant in my own brain. Like, nah, my brain's better coming up with that way their voices sound. Nope.
0: Yeah, Frank Muller's the man. He's he's, he's the, the man. He's the
1: best. <laughs> his little oif sounds are great too. Jake, 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 Jake. Cool. Yeah,
0: um <laughs> it must have been difficult or, and fun, obviously. But uh, I mean, Stephen King basically had to create an entire vernacular here, like an entire accent, almost, in the way that these people talk. What is he called? Crunk. I can't remember uh, I what it's called. It, crunk. I think that's a whole other language. That's like, um yeah, I can't. Remember, that, that was like really briefly mentioned.
1: Yeah, um, I know by the you're mayor's wife.
0: About. King had to basically go in and say, okay, how does this entire region of people talk? You know, they mm-hmm. say like ye and yar and then then there's the high speech, too, which Susan employs on Cordelia now and then and then gets reprimanded for it. You know, and the high speech seems to be speech that doesn't have any of those kinds of like yees and yars and so it
1: does and all that stuff. Right. But and it's it, not so old Englishy that it's like super like eloquent like that. But it's a little bit more.
0: It's like more commanding and proper yeah and direct like only adults talking about really serious things would talk like that or right um, and then there's also seems to be like a sort of kind of rural disdain for the kind of like upper echelon communities like gilead you know like these other baronies that seem to be doing a little bit better than magus so it's been kind of forgotten about and left to the wayside and even when even when the content gets to the barony and into Hambury the, their welcome party is very kind of like, look at, we're on top of it. Like, look at all this cool stuff we have. Like, you're totally welcome here. We, are, we have the best hospitality, you know? Like, they're trying to show off to these kids from this area. You know, only one of them is ostensibly from Gilead, but mm-hmm. they're from Berenice that are much more well-to-do than Magus is. You can really feel a lot of that disdain towards them. You know, I mean, even though they're kind of like well liked, it's so easy for the town to turn on this the Rollins Quartet because they're not from there. You know, they're the outsiders, uh, so they are.
1: You know, and and everyone's so mad because they're not going to get a nice little bonfire dancing on Reaping Day. So we got to take out our energy on a young woman we've grown up (laughs) with by burning her to death.
0: One of King's strengths, and if you read a lot of his other books, you'll notice this. uh, He does a really good job at setting up an entire town. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he does the work in so many of his books. There's like a hundred different characters and they've all got backstories to some degree or another. Um, and he's he's building up the way that this town operates, what they like, what they don't like, the things that they approve of, their culture. Their, he, he goes really deep into all of this because he unleashes it all later in something like what they did to Susan or how they react to the news that the mayor died at the hands of these outsiders. Uh, i do have another notice here that i thought was kind of it's kind of funny but it's also obviously it's 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 horrible um but it wasn't enough that we got this entire story of the devastating loss that roland suffered through by watching his first love literally burned alive but king had to put the cherry on top of this terrible bloody Sunday uh at the very very end and let us all know That Roland murders his own mother, so it's not enough. (laughs) Man, oh my god! I would have totally. I know the more that we find out about him, and we still haven't heard about Cuthbert and Alen.
1: Yeah, that's true. Because obviously, they get the major shaft at some point, and Roland also blames himself for.
0: It's amazing that he's even able to have these kinds of connections at all at this point.
1: Yeah, being so afraid of like the people that he gets close to coming to devastatingly terrible why wouldn't
0: he think that though i mean it makes a lot like look at his track record (laughs) i mean like every single person he's ever enjoyed being around even remotely has been killed and it's usually somewhat his fault or at least he believes it is Yeah, yeah
1: i hope that he i hope that it's his fault i hope that cuthbert and elaine are his fault like he thinks that susan was his fault because it really wasn't in my opinion like yes he was being a fool but so was she and so were they and everyone was and i don't blame him for that I don't blame him for his mother either. Um, so I hope it's a similar sort of thing and not just like a straight, like, oh man, Jake situation, you know, Jake 2.0.
0: Yeah, I don't I wouldn't blame Roland for um his mom either. I mean that he thought it was Rhea, right? I mean right. even Rhea comes up in the ball and is just like, ah, you killed my poor Irma. you killed my yeah. snake. And it's like, dude, it's just a snake, like geez. So did you catch that part where they where she puts the snake in her lap? And it's just like nobody could quite do it like Irma did, dude. You're yes, like... I did. Okay, so <laughs>
1: yeah, am I yeah. to believe that she was having yes, sexual relationships yes, yes. with both of her cat and her snake? Uh, I don't know if it was the cat. She mentions cause... the cat like licking or something at one point, no, she... and I was like, oh, like,
0: yeah, I mean, ria the is disgusting, absolutely vile, the yeah. character, yeah. really, really bad. If from and from the you know beneath the kissing moon chapter the very first chapter of roland's story as soon as you get into ria's hut you're just like this is disgusting whatever this is i'm not on board with this witch this oh is gosh. awful yeah. she
1: she like would actually make me wretch just the way that she's explained like oh god she just gross you're just disgusting she was a disgusting thing are we ever going to get a greater explanation of the um the thinny Cause like that was, I mean, I don't, I, I can't really describe what it is. Like, it's just like a green mist, it's like kind of sentient, maybe gets in your brain and tricks you and eats you. Or,
0: so my understanding of what a thinny is, and um, we're sticking our toes into when stuff is going to start getting really weird here. Um, Wills of Akala is kind of the introduction to the main meat of this story, um, and it just gets bonkers it it's it is b a n a n a s <laughs> is bananas going up going on from here uh but the thinny to my understanding is a place where um reality has kind of is like waxing and waning you know what i mean it's it's a it's a thinny it's a thin uh wall between different dimensions and realities and stuff so oh That's... obviously
1: okay it's a place where the world is okay okay
0: yeah it's a thinny. so it's like right it's yeah a, no yeah. i never put those uh, two so, together have, did you listen do you know what a musical saw sounds like have you ever listened to one before no it's really weird i wish that i could play a, uh maybe on the youtube video or something is it a play, terrible like, it. like you would recognize it like as
1: soon as you saw it but it's like a it's like a
0: it's it sounds like it's a very off-putting sound and, okay, and uh, and
1: that's what you imagine it sounds like.
0: And that's what it does sound like. They've, they've oh, they've said it. Um, you know, it's like when Jake remembers like the guy playing the saw in the park. Sure. Or right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that's what that sounds like, and and it's it kind of oscillates between being almost like not audible at all to being so it's pervasive. It's it's, it's making people crazy, you know, and it just kind of goes back and forth. Um, they're able to like clog up the sound by like putting a bunch of brush in the canyon or whatever bullets
1: in their ears well when they're walking through the town yeah which i thought was cool cool. (laughs) um what do you think char you tree means like obviously it's like the simple farmer's greeting for the reaping day but like i think there's more to it than that and i didn't pause to put too much more thought into it have you (laughs) um
0: i don't know i always kind of like this is the second time i've read this the first time was a while ago Um, anyone
1: listening it's what everyone is like chanting ranting and basically. chanting yeah. when they burn susan like char
0: you tree char you tree i think that in the reaping festival they end up burning a scarecrow and i think that that scarecrow had been named charlie at a some Stephie. point uh, A steffy yeah <laughs> one of the yeah. steffies uh i think that, that that's Stephies. like the um like the ritual or whatever.
1: Okay. Kind of like a life for a life. Like this thing must be sacrificed so our crops can do well. I don't know if it's that
0: deep or if they even know why they're doing it. You know, it's just like one of those things. Um, but yeah, char okay. tree. I'm not really sure if there's like a really deep meaning to it or not. It's just a creepy okay. word. It just
1: sounds creepy. It does sound really creepy. Char
0: you tree. Char you tree. Yeah, that's weird.
1: Do you think that the reason why Roland did not allow Cuthbert to light the fire when they're trapped in the box canyon um because cuthbert was like i've always had a thing for fire let me do it let me do it he's like <laughs> no this one's on me man um was because he knew the terrible consequences they were about to inflict upon these men and he didn't want that to sit on cuthbert's conscience or it was there any other reason do you think
0: i mean yeah that sounds about right for roland i mean because he hasn't lost all of his sense right he hasn't lost all of his leadership abilities and especially after like cuthbert fucking socks him one
1: you know, yeah. which I
0: thought that was great. It Same, needed to he deserved that. Even Roland at one point is just like, whoa, yeah, you're totally right. This is, yeah. this is getting a little wild in here. Like, I'm just losing it. Oh He apologizes, he
1: goes, I have forgotten the face of my father. Cry your
0: pardon. And even Cuthbert's like, okay, okay, fine, that's fine. But it's like, geez, come on, man. We got stuff to do. Roland is so dramatic. And he has been since he was a kid. <laughs> yes. Roland is super dramatic. He like takes Roland... himself
1: very seriously. And it works
0: out for him sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it's totally fine. And that's how a gunslinger should be. But I feel like taking himself seriously to the point where he's almost distracted by his own self-loathing is forgetting the face of his father. You know, and he does it frequently, too, Uh, and it's not gunslinger (laughs) behavior to get that down on yourself. There's no stoicism in that. There's no, you know, it's it's just he's he's being immature. He's self-pity. Yeah, it's self-pity. I mean, and obviously like a little bit of self-pity is fine. A little bit goes a long way, but, you know, to wallow to the point of inaction. And he does it even in the main storyline too. He does it all Absolutely, the time. it's almost like annoying. It's like, yeah, dude, come on, get it together, man. Like you're like a thousand years old. Like right, let's you're go. going
1: insane. Okay, fine. I'm like get it together, dude. <laughs> I don't think he's a thousand years old. But I don't. He's, yeah. he's old. The um, I think it was pretty wise of Roland to light that fire for him, though, because like you know, there's one thing. You know, like yeah, when they're coming up on those guys, they ambush like the fifteen people and they take them out. And he looks over; Cuthbert's like grinning, you know, and he's grinning back. And they're like whooping. It's like. Yes, they're also like killing people, but that's the sort of like head to head fight that you can kind yeah. of like glory in almost. But yeah, like they're the killing
0: people at that point.
1: Yeah, but in the in the Box Canyon, uh, oh, that was just burning them to death and forcing them into the thinny. And like Roland knew that even though if this works out perfectly, this will still be a disgusting victory. You know, no one's gonna revel in the screams of dying men like that. You know, like that's just rough.
0: Yeah, and it's just so aligned with Roland's character that he wouldn't want one of his friends to be the one that was responsible for doing that. And it was Roland's mm-hmm. plan anyway. Like, uh, he who passes the sentence should swing the sword, as George R. R. Yes. R. R. Martin would say. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Well, that's your fantasy that podcast there. right there, folks. There
1: you go. <laughs> um, they, they introduced the touch in this book, if I'm not mistaken, which I hadn't really heard of. Um, is that just like a kind of like a high Metachlorian Spidey sense sort of thing?
0: Yeah, that's how I look at it. Or it's the shine, okay. you know, which is what Stephen King um, kind of like Carrie has the shine. Uh, Danny from The Shining has the shine.
1: You know, it's like it's almost oh, like, okay.
0: yeah, it's like a a, fair, a fairly kind of uh, like a distant cousin to precognition of some sort. Yeah, like a premonition
1: like sort of sixth sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. okay. And, yeah, I like Elaine a lot and I wish that he had been kind of, I wish that he had more lines. I mean, Cuthbert uh, is really cool and really funny, but I there are conversations between like Cuthbert and Elaine that I wish that Elan had just had a little bit more agency and was able to. I don't know, he's just such a cool character, and I wanted to see more of him. That's probably what, one of the only things about this book that I felt like could have been longer. If anything, some of it could have been shorter. <laughs> I get it, but he got totally Lucien. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting yeah, it. Yeah,
1: he's like one of my favorite characters, and he just didn't get as much screen time as I wanted, you know, I could have yeah. done with a little less uh good roland part. and susan um, yeah, there's and there's a, a little lot of more. roland and
0: susan but that's the whole point of it right i know, you know
1: I mean? okay he does very good with his romance he does his sex scenes make me really uncomfortable
0: <laughs> i don't <laughs> know why really, but my butthole <laughs> clenched
1: the whole way through anytime even like the good ones yeah no i'm just like, like... oh there's just something gross about him kind of like yeah, um, Stephen King's not great at know. it. Um,
0: I'm not trying to make like a big bold statement or anything like that, but rarely do I read a good a good sex scene written by a man. I yeah. don't know what it is. We just for some reason can't <laughs> we can't verbalize yeah. it. We don't seem to be able to do it as well. I, I've read I've read sex scenes written by women that are um, really very solid, good. really yeah, good, very and, solid, uh, and not even just like erotica or anything, but just like. we just can't do it i don't know what it is no no. it's weird yeah and stephen king is definitely like too much or too
1: little too descriptive or not descriptive enough or like in the wrong way you know it's like i know i think that
0: at one point um like cuthbert said something like was thinking to himself about like roland with like like cupping the globes of her breasts or something it's like globes
1: like what are you (laughs) like oh and the things that like some of the like the wenches like the tavern wenches say totally, just like yeah. oh god
0: yeah like Stephen King is not great at that kind of stuff Man. like I love him he's my favorite author but he really really falls short in those kinds of things um that's why he doesn't write that kind of stuff but uh as like a you know on the whole but he, does a have, habit. <laughs> but he does have sex scenes in a fair few of his books and they're all bad. Like they're all really, really bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just one of those. I mean, not every author is perfect. And um, this is one of the things that he just doesn't excel at and he never has. And I don't think he ever will. <laughs> no, just,
1: no, he just, yeah, yeah it's, it's odd. Okay. Let's talk about the beginning of this book and the riddle off. Cause I really oh, yeah, enjoyed sure. that yeah. quite a bit. Um, okay. So first off, I just really, really loved the like, awesome lovely irony that is eddie being chided by roland at the beginning who's like stop none of your little jokes here we're taking this serious and we are getting this done you know like and then eddie's kind of like okay fine he kind of gets like put down or like turned off and then that very trait is the thing that ends up defeating playing the train in the end right because these questions are so simple it's like almost like annoys him to like put computing power energy into figuring out the answer because it's so beneath him that it ends up just like blowing up his brain, which is just like fantastic. And I love that solution.
0: Yeah. That's um really interesting because at first you're like, there's no way this is going to work. Right. I mean, right. this is stupid. It's a stupid joke. It's a stupid riddle. The first time I read this, I, I was like, this is the most idiotic possible thing that they could ever do because Blaine is just going to speed up and go faster. It's out of sheer spite, but it's a computer. Right at the end of the day, it is a computer, and Eddie was really clever to recognize that and to recognize that like the only way we're gonna win this game is to cheat. We can cheat so hard that it breaks this computer because this isn't a person, right. you know. I mean, it's artificial intelligence, but it's not a person. You know, you can still there's a workaround there.
1: I kept expecting the like, but what's in my pockets is to like make an appearance, but it never did. There
0: was a riddle from The Hobbit in here which i was think was there? In, yeah um i think it was like
1: the um oh was it the teeth yeah i think it was like red the 30, horses on red hill yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: that was from the hobbit uh i don't and that might not have that might have been from something before the hobbit obviously but i was I just know. looking for it but that's where i read It'll it, it will forever
1: be in the hobbit in my mind yeah
0: yeah it's interesting um you know the riddle contest that's ripped if not that one riddle like the whole contest idea in general is ripped right out of the hobbit you know oh um, yeah
1: and countless other books that I'm sure ripped the, their their riddle um, off right out of The Hobbit as well. I don't know if Tolkien was the first, but he is in my mind.
0: Uh, Stephen King is no has definitely told everybody multiple times how much he loves Lord of the Rings and Tolkien.
1: Oh, that's a purposefully done thing.
0: The not maybe not the riddle. Like he probably just wanted to do a riddle thing. and wasn't right. like that. What that wasn't a nod to Tolkien, but the one riddle in it. That is from the Hobbit. Was probably it was him. It was probably his way of saying like I know what I'm doing. I
1: don't. I'm sorry. Right. Like, a little nod <laughs> off. Yeah.
0: But um, like the, the palantir, the, the glass is a mixture of like the pal the palantir and uh, the ring. Ria is going crazy because of it, and she doesn't want anyone else to have it. And even Eldred Jonas, I think it's Eldred Jonas, when he gets it. Initially he's just like, oh man, I now I don't even want to give this away. And he had it for like a second. Right. You know? There's a so... sense of
1: possession possessiveness that people yeah. have. Like, it's mine. Totally. You know?
0: It's my precious.
1: Yep. So it is. So
0: it is. <laughs> so it is. So it is.
1: My precious. I know it's not mine, but I even found myself saying in my brain, my own. My own. God. I love his voices so much. I'm already mad at whoever's going to be reading, I don't remember the name that you mentioned, but who's ever reading the next George I know is good. He does
0: a good job. I know. It's just not, it's just not like, Frank Muller.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm just going to be <laughs> like, so you sorry. are you imposter. <laughs> it's not him. Yeah. <laughs> Instantly. There's a moment where, right at the beginning of Susan and Roland's love story, that she's kind of troubled over what to do, and she decides to let Ka do as it may and not meet up with Roland. He sneaks via... um Via shimi a joke or a, a joke um a note and it says to meet up and she's like i'm not gonna meet up i'm just going to let Ka do its thing and she's like i'm gonna decide to honor my promise and like i don't know i kind of feel like she's confusing Ka with what will be which in my opinion is a conflation of what should be and like what like that misunderstanding is is in itself stroking the cat of Ka the wrong direction in her attempt to be wise, she was being like a fool. Cause really you like fate will not be fulfilled by your inaction. Like you can't be like, oh what will be, what will be, and then do nothing. It's like she, no
0: Oh, sorry to interrupt you. No, no, I, think you're that, good. I think she acknowledges that idea though. Uh she's thinking about something that her dad Pat Delgado had said where like um, yeah
1: exactly like
0: to not choose is like the something of fools or something like that or like not choosing is a choice as well but it'll always end up bad or something like that was the advice that
1: her dad had given her okay like that. okay um, yeah i didn't catch when she like it chose it, but at the time i was like annoyed with her i was like no like pa is like the road like it's, it's not what will be definitely like it's just what should be like you can choose to leave it but you're probably going to get lost if you do you aren't forced yeah, but to, how are path, supposed but... to know
0: like what is and what isn't Ka that's
1: true but know? like doing nothing is like not gonna get you to Ka I I think you know I don't know I was just annoyed if, with what her what if
0: Ka is in action though you know
1: <laughs> maybe at certain I points yeah, it was, Ka, I literally Ka's stood up real. and I was like you have forgotten the face of your <laughs> father
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean Susan is 16 and um you know uh I mean, I think that she's a really great character and it makes a lot of sense, actually, her and Roland being together, especially the the kind of sequence leading up to her uh, being burned alive. And I'm going to keep saying burned alive because that's what happens and I need to respect yeah. the way that Susan went out. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, before that happens, um, she even says to herself, like, I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of hearing me. And it's like that There's there's Roland's, Girl, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, this is that's uh,
1: the girl of a gunslinger, right there. Yeah, right,
0: exactly. Um, man, she's so badass, and she uh, is she's so really clever. Uh, she, I mean, she, you know, as much as her and Roland understand that this is probably gonna end pretty badly um she's following her heart and maybe her heart is caught you know i mean right. I, it comes to an apex at one point where she says if you love me then love me that's susan saying that you know what i mean that's right. not roland cajoling her into it he's not like you know come on come on it's my birthday or like whatever you right know what I mean? if like anything it's...
1: he's very respectful of boundaries
0: right. uh but she crosses that boundary and says if you love me then love me mm-hmm. and that that line is so so important to everything that's going on here you know she's essentially saying like we can dance around this as much as we want right but if you don't act on this and we don't you know act on our urges and actually embrace what the feelings that are between us i'm gonna end up marrying this guy like i'm gonna end up being thorin's jilly and then this isn't gonna work between us you know even roland says like i i I won't um have you with if you're with another man or whatever which i mean it's like i get it but also like come on Roland. like she's <laughs> yeah <laughs> like nope i want you untainted it's like ah oh, that kind of sounds like uh what thorin said to you dick like i mean yeah come like, on
1: <laughs> nah man <laughs> it's like nah. no it's
0: like oh yeah i have you know i'm sympathetic to your situation but uh i'm only doing this on like my terms you know and it's like come on Roland. right like but he's 14, so,
1: you know. Right.
0: And he's, like, Roland is full of pride, you know. Uh, Absolutely. Like and Roland, part of
1: it's earned, but.
0: Most of it's most not, though. Most you of it's know, not. They're yet. babies. They don't even have their guns yet. Um, and I think that's another big part of this whole, like, why the situation is so gross and dumb and, like, such a clusterfuck is right. because, you know, they're, they're not there to do what they end up doing. Uh, that's stressed over and over again. They're purely there so that Roland can be out of the way of Martin Broadcloak. Roland brought Cuthbert and Elaine to just be along for the ride, essentially. Right. Against
1: his father's yeah. wishes, he was like, you can bring Elaine, but don't bring <laughs> Cuthbert, the stupid one, or whatever.
0: I think it's great that he brought him anyway, though. That's oh, so straight awesome. up. And they would one have been able w- to do it without Cuthbert. So No, you know, not at all. Cuthbert he was pivotal. And that's what Ka is, you know. Like, right. That's Ka. At least I right.
1: think it is. I don't know i think so um one thing i was kind of annoyed with was susan keep going back to like well i can't break my promise i did promise i did promise like okay there's kind of a hierarchy of morality here going on which you're not acknowledging at all like isn't you fulfilling your promise like i don't know what marriage vows look like in their world but if they're anything like ours isn't you fulfilling your promise forcing two other people to break their promises like i feel like that's a pretty like not to mention what you want and like your insides what your heart is telling you about this whole situation but like she seems so troubled about breaking her promise but it's like you're forcing you're by you fulfilling your promise you're forcing two other people a married couple to break their promise like in the whole world of like promise breaking here it seems like you getting one is breaking two it's like the numbers aren't really playing out so like also follow your heart like i don't know i was kind of annoyed with her
0: well i mean it's not i don't think you can really be annoyed with her because she's been um you know manipulated so hard by cordelia you know what I, mean? I know like,
1: but she even herself is like i can't break my promise. like it's not even a cordelia thing she says like my father wouldn't want me to you know so at the end she does not sure. knowledge
0: but i mean like, but i was just we, like you have to <clears throat> that totally makes sense but like I would say you have to at least uh factor in the fact that Cordelia has been guilt guilt tripping her this entire time you know totally uh
1: who I but, hated with yeah Cordelia her deep is and burning the worst passion. the absolute yeah. <laughs> worst
0: um and Cordelia I don't know if you noticed it uh is if it's like a one line thing but she like uh killed herself after um uh susan was burned yeah right. She had, yeah. I, wait, did she? Or did she? Had, she had like a stroke? Actually, I think that's yeah. What it was. She, yeah, yeah. She did. Yeah. She
1: had like a like a brain stroke or something. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, she
0: didn't. She didn't do that. But
1: but yeah. I think it was kind of a. She was so guilt. She was so laden with guilt and the heaviness of her own actions, which she was a selfish old raisin that entire book, <laughs> and she just kept reason. getting. Well, yeah, oh, she's terrible. She's yeah. getting worse and worse, and she was so spiteful, and she would say these like terribly manipulative things. It's like you are the leech here you have provided nothing you're just leeching off of what susan's father created and you're ruining everything and you're doing it in his name as if you're honoring his memory and it's like you're doing the opposite of that and uh i hated her well
0: i mean in that same vein um you know cordelia and uh, eldred jonas they both have a, a similarity and I've noticed it. it's like a whole thing in this entire book. And it's this condemna- condemnation of youth, right? Mm. They hate it. They hate how they and they're constantly referencing how young and pretty they are. Oh, Miss Young and Pretty, and like, oh, these boys that can't even grow beards yet. And you know, they hate the idea that these young to their people, own folly. right? Yeah, they hate the idea that these young people can come in and do a better job at whatever it is they're trying to do. Be be more attractive, be more full of energy, be more full of life, and maybe even be correct about some of this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Eldred Jonas hates the fact that he is this washed up old gunslinger and totally resents all gunslingers and it makes him hate this quartet even more when he finds he's out that he's a fail they're, out of the guns a, yeah he program. is he's burnt out and cordelia is losing her youth you know and she's she's cozying up to Ed, uh to jonas you know which is kind of gross and jonas is banging uh <laughs> oh uh, God, Thorin's sister and
1: stuff his balls uh, were throbbing and felt full of liquid lead right oh, yeah God, <laughs> And then we got old voyeur over here with the palantir porn. Like, God, man. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: but yeah, like this whole re- resentment of youth is what I would say is like one of the the bigger themes in this book. Is you know, older generations will kind of, will kind of like hold people's youth against them. You know, uh, mm-hmm. even if they're right about what they're saying, it's like no matter what, it's a bad quality that is to be reprimanded and held against somebody and hated and resented. Uh, it's like it's not roland or susan's fault that they're they're, that they're teenagers you
1: know right or that roland is like so good at doing what he does you know
0: yeah speaking of roland being so good at what he does um i want to kind of like gloss over a little bit the um the part where they they're in their first fight as real gunslingers that is one of the most epic parts it's one of my favorite parts in the entire series when where they're riding up
1: behind him ah he says
0: to me gunslingers ride them down no prisoners
1: yeah ah hile to me gunslingers ride them down that's the thing that um cues the the failed out gunslinger behind he's like he didn't know what was happening until he heard that old battle cry of the gunslinger and my favorite He's faster than
0: sorry he's fast like Eldred is just like he's faster than anyone I've ever seen (laughs) and they they never miss anybody either like King wrote in that like not all of their shots were kills but they hit every single time while on horseback which I don't know if you ever tried to shoot or do anything on top of a horse I have staying on top of the horse (laughs) yeah it's impossible (laughs) trying to do anything on a horse other than not falling off of it and there's
1: Gallop yeah
0: they're going really fast. Oh, man. So I mean,
1: cool. and the fact that, okay, so we have to have Mr. Silencer over here. Elaine with his freaking so slingshot takes out yeah. like, or a Cuthbert. Yeah. yeah. Four guys with the Cuthbert. And one guy looks back and his eye was replaced with a red ball. <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh, man. My favorite line of the whole book was right before that. Um, and I think it's Elaine who says, they're coming. And Roland looks at his friends and he says, mount up reaping has come Uh. and i was like yes (laughs) oh i was jacked
0: (laughs) there's a couple quotes i wanted to go over here real quick uh so one of my favorite quotes in this book was um and now all these years later it seemed to him that the most terrible fact of human existence was that broken hearts mended you just want to feel sad forever don't you well tough shit you know, you're going to get over it. and Sorry, it's not time gonna, heals. Yeah, time heals things. And sometimes you don't even want it to. You want to hold on to that memory forever. You want to hold on to that grief forever. And totally. It, it's, it's brutal, you know? And like
1: how feeling, being mad sometimes feels good, you know? And you don't want to let it go because it gives you a certain power, you know? One of the lines I really loved was more of an idea, really. But um, I think it was Eddie who says it. After hearing the story told by Roland and they're coming off and they're like, is everyone okay? Does anyone need to rest? And They're like, no, we're all good. And Eddie says, uh, the time is changed by a story or the stories change the passage of time. And he says, well, at least it does in my world. And I think it's Roland who responds. And he's like, I think that is true for all worlds. And so it is, you know, like when you're in a good story, Time is meaningless. Like it, it goes by so fast. We've all had those moments where you're like reading one minute and then like four hours later, you like come out of it and you're like, whoa, it's nighttime or morning if you started at the nighttime, you know? Yeah.
0: Stories have that ability. It's so yeah. I And mean, I just another... love
1: the idea that it like actually alters the passage of time.
0: <laughs> uh, here's another one. This is the last quote that I'm going to go over. Susan, when they get to the Emerald City, says, I was raised to be polite. But not to suffer bullshit, which is—it's <laughs> one of my favorite lines spoken by Susanna. It's a perfect encapsulation of her entire personality. I was raised mm-hmm. to be polite, but not to suffer bullshit. I love and the way that I was listening to it too, and like the way that Frank Muller said it. It was just like—did you say that to
1: um about Blaine?
0: No, she was saying it to um the TikTok man or whatever. Towards like the oh, end of the book. Oh, that's right. That's and right. And then um. <laughs> the way that frank moeller said it she was just like i was raised to be polite. like really really nice and then but not to suffer bullshit you know it's i was just, raised to be uh, polite <laughs> yeah and that southern accent yeah it's yeah. so great then uh Susanna comes Susanna's a big part of wolves of, the, of wolves of the color so good
1: lots of Susanna. i love her a lot and her he does her voice so well because like i really dislike it where they try super late like it's like dude if you're not a woman don't try to talk like he just he has this, he just kind of lightens his voice a little bit and talks yeah. a little bit like this with it. It's just very good. You know, let's, I I feel like we didn't fully cover that fight. Oh yeah, uh, sure. So let's we go, can totally back go back to it back a little to bit. Yeah. I loved the scene of them converging on them through the high grass, right? It was very Jurassic Park-esque. You see like the line of men going single file through the tall grass and then it zooms. The camera gives you the shot from above and you see like converging from all sides the lines of the raptors like coming in on them. Oh, that's from The Lost
0: World. Not to be
1: that guy, but... Oh, I just met Jurassic Park like referencing the oh, whole okay. thing but well, yeah you, I, specifically, i'm the yes. asshole there no no <laughs> no no. you are you are correct
0: <laughs> like, chad that's from the Lost
1: world f- it's the second i forgot jurassic that one jurassic of them is called sorry. jurassic park specifically yeah you're right you're right so, so from the lost world <laughs> no don't yeah. apologize for being fucking right
0: <laughs> they're uh you know it's funny because even even as the reader we think they are babies right like they're they're not, and they're arguing with each other. The cotet is kind of dissipating. They're all really worried and scared. And, you know, Roland and Cuthbert and Elen, like apart from that one little bit that we saw in the Travel, Traveler's Rest where they're able to kind of like get the jump on the Coven Hunters and stuff, we don't really see a whole lot of them being even proactive, really. I mean, they're kind of just counting stuff and, you know, they've got an idea that something's up or whatever, but then like Roland- They're even
1: trying to not. They're just spending time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, But then they kind of get to this point where they figure out that they need to do something about this. Um, And even then, it's like, are they going to be able to handle this, though? You know, like, I mean, these are like teenagers. So you have like like this You should have sent
1: that bird 400 pages ago, like Cuthbert was yelling at you to do.
0: Right. And uh, even the Coffin Hunters, you know, uh, seeing a lot of this stuff from their perspective and how angry they are and how, like, there's so much vitriol and they're, they're so, they're, these are, Hardened killers, and right. I mean, I the first time I read it, I thought either Cuthbert or Elaine was going to get murdered, like Same. really quickly. Into I it.
1: thought Susan and Roland was going to make it out, and Shimi, uh, but not Elaine and Cuthbert.
0: Yeah, but no, they did it flawlessly, which flawlessly. is it's Perfect way record. cooler. It's way cooler because, uh, you know, it, it's very close to. A, an eye roll, kind of like, all right, whatever. But you know what? They are trained gunslingers from Gilead. They they were trained by court. You know, like they, they're right. They're also and plan really... wasn't
1: perfectly executed. Like no, they got the it was... jump to, coming right out the gate. You know, yeah, so but they it's also like hit there was a every bunch of shot. You know, yeah, like... that's true. That's true. <laughs> he got him with an arm throw, twenty meters with sixty yeah. feet with a knife throw in the wind from from horseback. Yeah, that's
0: <laughs> silly. And there's even that little moment. Roland kind of looks around and he expects to see one of them wounded or off of his horse or whatever, but they're just like, sitting on their horses. Is
1: so yeah, there all these like, dead guys we everywhere? Good? We're good. We did we're all it. good. All right. <laughs> nice. I mean, I could hear that battle. Oh yeah. I guess like, people were oh, yeah. falling off, knees snapping from legs being caught in the on the holster, um, the, the holster of the horse, the saddle. You know, like. Oh,
0: I know it says it like the wind cool. died down just enough so that he could hear the crack of his bone or
1: something. Like, I love their. Like, not they're like, okay, we have all these fireworks set up so you can shoot the tanker full of oil, then you'll light the firework that'll go into them. We got one for each, and it's like, nope, one bullet, it sparks, blows it up, makes a chain reaction. You know, like they just have no idea the forces that they're messing with, you know.
0: Uh, so what did you think about John Farson, the good man, leading this kind of quasi rebellion kind of thing? We don't see him at all, we see the man in black come in and talk to I think Eldred Jonas as like a representative. Uh what right. do you think is all what do you think that's all about?
1: Okay. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I don't really know. I kept thinking like, oh they've discovered a coup to take over Gilead. And at one point they're like well someone's talking to somebody else and they're just like well if you know if all goes well you'll be like a um like a, a baron. A baron, that's what yeah. it is. You'll be a baron. You won't even have to worry about any of this. Come and it's like what? So like obviously they're collecting armament and weaponry to lead some sort of overthrowing of the Gilead government, but I that's as far as I got.
0: So uh, it's kind of hinted at towards the end of this book, but John Farson, the good man, uh, seems to be an agent of the Crimson King. Who is? Who, who we don't, we haven't run into at okay. all. But there's like, that, <laughs> there's like the eye of the Crimson King. All of this has to do with the Dark Tower. Like, that's basically what it all comes down to. That's sure. why, I mean, like, the Dark Tower is always waiting in the wings. It's always about the Dark Tower. It's always about Ka. It's always about the beams. As it, as far distant as it seems, we're getting away from the real the pillar, you know, no pun intended, of this story. <laughs> you know, like, we're not, we're not actually ever that far away, right? Like it seems like it sometimes no. but John Farson, the Crimson King, even the coffin hunters and everything like that, that's all connected to the degradation of this tower like the, it's very important to just like at least like keep that in mind, you know
1: okay. because it mentions at one point like, you know and unbeknownst to everyone here, you know Gilead will be no more in two years time or something like that. And I, as much as I don't know about all of that, I do really love how King constantly reminds us that all the worlds are connected. Um, And and that's kind of like the thing that he's always like, Hey, remember everything's connected. There's something bigger going on. Everyone's singing. Hey Jude, you know, it's like, you're not in a separate land. These worlds are kind of the oil refineries with people's um, with like technology that they don't really know. And there's always like words written on them, like Exxon or something of like oil companies from our time you know and it's like you uh, know they have guns or that one has a machine gun that they're like we don't really know where this came from but like it's some old weapon or something so it's like a really cool like mixing and layering and like reminder that like everything is connected um yeah. and Even that's though important. it doesn't
0: seem like it sometimes you know because it really right. doesn't sometimes it really there's parts of this whole series where you're like why are we here doing yeah. this you know but you have to push through a little bit and really just trust the process and trust that you know God, I can't wait for us to read book seven. (laughs) Oh my God, it's so fucking crazy, dude. Is it really? Like, I mean, because up until now, things have been fairly straightforward, right? There's a lot of weird terminology and stuff, but nothing that weird has really happened, you know? Right, like
1: there's been some weirdness, you know? Like we had, you know, we hooked up with an incubus and like, you know, there's some weird things going on, but like.
0: Yeah, it's not not like nothing we've never seen. Yeah, but we're about to.
1: We're on it's the precipice. It's about <laughs> to get really weird.
0: Uh, Wolves of the Callout is the one that I... is Wolves of the Collar is the book I remember the least about. That's the next um, one? Yeah, I can't remember that much, uh, but I know it's a really important book. Is it uh, a thicken?
1: Th- Let me look at it. It's like it. One 700 second. pages long. Gotta whip out my trusty box set. Thanks, Serene.
0: Woo-hoo. Yeah, it's, a, it's fairly large. Oh, yeah, it's pretty... It's a thicken. Yeah, it's not quite as long as Wizard and Glass, but it's seven hundred pages.
1: Wow! It features uh, a bunch of people on horses holding lightsabers. Yeah,
0: <laughs> things are about to get a little weird. And then Saga Susanna is is one of my favorites. Uh, a lot of people don't seem to like that one very much, but I think it's a it's a wild ride. Um, and then Dark Tower Seven, The Dark Tower, is what the book is called. Um, right? Oof! It's,
1: it's a just lot. Just a whack job, huh? It's a lot. It's a. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. Every one of these books so far has been so unique. Yeah. And it's its its own little thing. Like they're all connected. Of course, you need to read them in order and they're all part of the same story. But each one has its own flavor, its own like soul, you know, like they work together to be to make up like a whole body part. But the arm is not the leg. You know, it's like they're all different, but they're working in unison together to create one full thing. And it's very well done.
0: Yeah, this is definitely, on the second read of mine, this is inching into like top five of all time territory. This is really good. My first
1: read through. What did it for me was the last book. I was like, all right, I'm in it now. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny
0: because the first time I read Wizard and Glass, I think I was just so enamored with The Wastelands. And I didn't know what the rest of the series had to offer. So I was just kind of like, wow, we're really just doing 600 pages of Whatever this is, our, like, I was so glued <laughs> into like what was going on before, but now it's like looking back at the entire series, oh, this, I needed this story fits so well into everything. It's such an integral part of this entire story. And,
1: and oh, I, mean, I needed to know what is Roland's motivation? Totally. And obviously it's going to be added on but obviously it's that first Palantir fly through, you know, that shows him the tower and its degrading straight state and kind of implants this seed of, necessity in him though like, he's
0: ready to bail on Susan right then
1: right and like, you know I mentioned at the very beginning of this that there was a there was a moment that helped me understand his character and it was that and it was okay you know I kind of hated on him for sacrificing Jake yeah, at the beginning but it was like now I, I obviously that was still not cool but he sacrificed the woman of his dreams who was pregnant with his child yeah so he's like, gonna go this man has already sacrificed a lot more than the boy that he met in the desert, you know, a, a couple of days prior. So it's like, not again, not that that's a good thing. It was not cool, dude, but I get it now. And it was like understandable that it's like he can't stop now, you know, or else it would be make all those sacrifices that he's made, those much larger sacrifices, uh, meaningless, you know. So it's like, I was like, okay, I get you now, man. I get you. And it, may, it helped me understand him a lot better, kind of forgive him a little bit.
0: Well, and not to mention, I mean, the quartet is stronger now for having all that information. Like, so not only are you as the reader more in touch and in tune with Roland as a human, and as a character, but he needs his quartet on his side. You know, he's not going to be able to do this without Jake and Susanna and Eddie and Oi. and Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I mean, I feel personally like uh, it's it's part of his growth as a character and as a person is he. He was ready to just do this alone, mm-hmm. you know, but he needs these people around him. And not only does he need them, but he needs them to understand, like, why he is the way he is, right. why the tower is so important. So it's just as important that, you know, the cotet is on the same page as Roland as it
1: is for us to be on the same page. He almost kind of needs their, like, forgiveness of some of his past actions. And they give it know? to him. And they do, you know, yeah. It's more
0: like reassurance, I would say. It's not necessarily... They're not in a position to forgive him because the, those things weren't done to them. Sure, you know? but they're they're more like, "Hey, if we're gonna do this, you can't be <laughs> just in tears the whole time. <laughs> like you can't just <laughs> and he's not or anything. But it's like he 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 was a very vulnerable position for him to put himself into mm-hmm. to show to show them those things. And it was you know he knew that he needed to show it to them. He didn't want to. Right. He definitely didn't want to, but there was a missing piece of that puzzle that needed to be put in.
1: I've mentioned this in previous uh, podcasts, but one thing I'll go back to that I really, really like is so many times in books like this, where there's a group and a party, one of the things that must be overcome, and it still may happen, but is the distrust between them. There's a falling out, there's a Boromir, there's some sort of chink in their armor, and time and time again, these characters come up with very good things that they could very easily and like would want to hide from each other, like Roland going crazy, but then they're just, everyone's honest with each other. And they tell them right up, like an example in this book was Eddie had a dream that was really troubling to him about Roland, like driving a tractor and like crushing everyone or something like at the very beginning of the book. And he wakes up and Roland's like, where are you troubled? And he was like, yeah. And I had this terrible dream about you driving a tractor and killing us all. And it was like,
0: you, you know, like I feel
1: most, yeah, immediately. And I was just like, yes, cool. I like not having to deal with their cotet being broken up, but I like how they're just maintained solidity. You know, that's a really cool thing.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, Susanna's probably pregnant. Yeah. She hasn't told, oh, Eddie. she's
1: definitely pregnant.
0: She hasn't told Eddie, though. Which is, oh, that is the one big dishonest yeah, thing that, that she one... hasn't even thought about. I wouldn't about call that. it dishonest necessarily because Eddie hasn't asked her. Well, um, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I know, that's kind of line, but... <laughs> but <I'm laughs> yeah. just saying I'm just saying, like, it's not really coming from a place of, like, she wants to keep it from Eddie because, or whatever. I think she doesn't really know what's going on. Right. So she doesn't want to stress him out, you know? He's like, we
1: all don't like, need this. Yeah, exactly. At the very beginning, uh, when Roland kind of stands up and chews out Blaine the train, and then Eddie stinks speaks up in the back and he goes, they don't call him the mad dog of Gilead for nothing. They they actually call him the Mad Dog of Gilead? I don't think Was they Eddie did. just, like, throwing <laughs> that in there? I think he was just throwing that in Okay, because I feel like it was kind of a bold thing. Like, what if Blaine the Train has, like, memory banks or something about, like, all the nicknames known of every gunslinger? And he's like, no, they didn't. You're I don't know. I was just like, what the hell are you doing, Eddie? <laughs> like, he doesn't need your help, man.
0: <laughs> Eddie and Cuthbert are the same guy. I don't guy. know.
1: He was being ridiculous. Um, okay, so Susan's horse is named Pylon. Yeah. Is there any depth to that? Like, obviously, pylon is like a r time word, you know, I meaning know. like a like probably an energy not. structure or something. I don't know. I felt like there was some sort of depth in there that I'm just not getting. Nah, probably not. Nah, okay.
0: <laughs> Maybe there is. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some like hardcore Dark Tower uh, aficionado is just like, I hate this podcast. So it's like, I know this, just... I know this
1: one. I know this one. I know this one. Well, send <laughs> email us an me email. seriously. Yeah. I am curious. Um. Okay cordelia at one point her terrible aunt stuffs up one of the stuffies puts it in uh, susan's clothes on it and it lights it on fire but she's just <laughs> doing that to like voodoo doll hate or like what what was that i
0: think that woman is just like literally losing her mind okay. you know? she's just
1: crazy <laughs> yeah she gets like, in, like a fight with susan and her next act is to take a scarecrow put her susan's clothes in it and then light it on fire
0: Yeah, I mean, there's just, like, a weird, like, power imbalance between the two of them. Um, I mean, Cordelia, it's like she's her parental figure, obviously, but, like, Susan has never really seen her, like, quite like that, or at least she's she's not seeing her like that anymore. Right. You know, and I think that Cordelia is realizing that as well and is struggling with that, you know, because... All, all cordelia cares about is getting money she doesn't give a shit about right. susan she doesn't care about susan She's at all the most selfish and susan confronts her on that too you know i love that part where susan i can't remember the exact quote but cordelia and susan are arguing and susan says if i'm old enough to be married off for money to this old man then you need to talk to me with some respect right like hell that's like we said before like that's a
1: gunslinger move yep. right there you know like, that was the same makes... thing as roland saying to blaine like i could call you a sucker but you have no mouth i could say f your mother but you don't have one <laughs> yeah no, when blaine's like you can't get rude or whatever and that's one of those things like you know to kind of
0: bring it back to what you said about like the kind of like insta-love thing it's like i feel like as as quickly as they did get together they do make quite a bit of sense you know oh so at least sure. there's that so uh it... oh and
1: I never said that as, like, a bad thing. It's just a funny thing to me. You know, he does a very good job of making it seem proper, but it's just, like, there is no warm-up.
0: Nah, not really. Nah. And there doesn't need to be one. But, I mean, like, look at Susan's situation when she sees Roland for the first time. Like, people from Gilead are, like, this distant... She's never seen anybody from that Barony. They're, like... They're not legendary, but...
1: You know what oh, I mean? he's a knight in shining yeah, armor
0: he's literally a knight yeah and yeah. she's never seen somebody like that the way that he treats her is a lot different than she's probably been treated by anybody else
1: i mean she's about to be shucked off to sold to some
0: old right. man as like yeah and sex then slave and then she sees this this tall drink of water with bombardier's eyes you and know a like, umbrella
1: fruit floating in it <laughs> yeah <and> you know <laughs> and he's he just he's, sweeps uh, her off her feet
0: right immediately um
1: and then i mean i was like swooning too i was like damn roland
0: damn roland i didn't know you had it in you
1: yeah seriously right. i was like what a slick man he was fearless too came up right up to her oh man he was <laughs> he was a smooth operator yeah, He bowed yeah he bowed to her <laughs> forced her to ride the horse <laughs>
0: Uh, all right, so we're going to start wrapping this up here. Uh, this has been a nice long episode, but it needed to be long because uh, we were going to do this in two parts. But, you know, we just do one book per episode, apparently.
1: <laughs> it doesn't matter hey, how long it is. You know, it's fine. Dude, one, step, it. one second before we do wrap up here. Blaine was going so fast. I just want to throw this out there. He was going so fast. He killed a deer by driving <laughs> by it. Like he like cavitation yeah. bubbled that deer to death. That yeah, was some was straight like, nine, like um, 900
0: miles an hour or something like that.
1: That was like mantis shrimpage, you know, <laughs> mantis shrimp thing is awesome.
0: Um, All right. So I have one last question and then we're okay. going to start wrapping up. What do you think is going to happen in Wolves of the Kala?
1: <laughs> These book series at the end of <laughs> I mean, we always ask and I always feel like I've got like some pretty solid um, thoughts as to what's going to happen in series. And sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong. And I always remember my successes. So but I'm sure I'm wrong often there's so many people listening like yes yes you are man this series it is so wackadoo i have no idea i have no idea so they're gonna they're going to thunderclap that's the they're going to thunderclap okay okay also the tiktok man is that oh yeah we didn't even get into that oh my god yeah Yeah, i know okay the whole wizard of oz thing like that was kind of weird what that was an odd like reference throwdown like I I was really confused by the whole Wizard of Oz thing
0: okay so I have a theory about this and I don't think I doubt it's right but I think that Randall Flagg is trying to dissuade them from seeking the tower right that's what he's trying to do sure and I think that one of the ways that he's trying to do it is by using this he knows that Eddie and Jake and Susanna are from uh, our world from New York he also knows that they they understand the idea behind the wizard of oz the the whole point of the wizard of oz is like there's no place like home right there's no like we're trying to get back home and so he's trying to capitalize on that and trying to break down like a nostalgia play so i think what happened was that the randall flag just totally materialized the entire emerald city thing and the wizard of oz and he was trying to get them to forsake the tower forsake roland and separate them from roland so that he could then Make it so that Roland had an extremely difficult time getting to that tower. So that's what I think all of that is. That's what I think the significance of the Wizard of Oz is. That's why he gave them all ruby slippers and things like that. Um, Because
1: if you could get him, sorry, keep going.
0: That's that's basically it. I mean, that's I could be wrong about that. I don't think I am though. I mean, the Wizard of Oz is like a very specific thing. Yeah, I love when they're trying to explain the Wizard of Oz too. I know. (laughs) And when Susanna's like, "Oh, it was the monkeys that always scared me." It's like, dude, me too. I hated the monkeys in the Wizard of Oz. I hate Straight the up. Wizard of Oz. I think that movie sucks. Anyway, it does
1: suck. Like, yeah. I played a play once and I was, I was one of the monkeys. That <laughs> was a lot of characters, but word. I played one of the monkeys. Um, <laughs> okay. On. That puts it that, that, that is the answer I was looking for because of the, what's the whole point of that movie to get home. The, yeah. like to remind the you friends how you help. make along the way, but True, know, that too. But, but like, yeah, I think you're right. The, t- the tick tock or the man in black, whoever was to court. What flag was like, Okay, if I can put him in this, because like, what's the goal of that movie to get home? If I can like put them in that mindset, maybe they'll be like, that's the goal of what we're doing is to get home and like derail them somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that makes sense to me. I thought the TikTok, man, TikTok man's death was a little anticlimactic. They're like, yeah. hey, look, the TikTok man, oh no, that big baddie from the past.
0: <laughs> and then they just kill him. And it's like, what's the point of even having him like kind of like take him along for his ride yeah. at the end of the last book? Like, it yeah. kind of
1: made his death like not as cool like i mean he could have been plucked right out of there and it would have made been fine
0: well king is one of my very favorite authors but i don't think he even knows what he's doing sometimes and he admits as much and yeah afterwards. i mean <laughs> like some stuff really does just kind of end with a whimper with some of his books and i think the tiktok man is just whimper, one of those well things said. yeah so the tiktok man is just kind of one of those things where it's like oh i mean i guess this cosmic wizard just needed this dude to play the wizard of oz even though yeah, they're gonna he kill would him like, immediately. yeah yeah it's kind of dumb like why didn't the tick why didn't randall flag that would actually been a lot more impactful if randall flag was the wizard of oz uh totally and was like actually saying like oh no but i'll be able to take you back but um i mean yeah but I mean, King... he was
1: looking away so he kind of looked foolish so it made him look you know downgraded him in our eyes or at least his power you know yeah they're that part's really cool but
0: really weird too
1: <laughs> it was really weird
0: i would feel like i'm gonna say that like a few more times like oh, as we're reading these books like yeah that part was really cool but it was really weird
1: <laughs> it's really weird i mean we've said that multiple times about yeah, like yeah so many things series. really weird
0: this is probably the weirdest series we're gonna read in at least like the next year probably
1: yeah so they're headed off to thunder What what is it thunder something thunderclap thunderclap i have no idea they're headed toward <laughs> end world right that's their yeah. their end game here. It's yeah, the end
0: game the tower.
1: And what is? Do they have to like cross into a new world in order to get to Thunderclap? Or
0: uh, I don't think so. I think it's just it's down the uh the old path of the beam. Okay, they're back on so, the path of the beam,
1: right? And they get out of there. They had to like put on their shoes, which is like a weird thing that I don't get at all. And then <laughs> they the, like the
0: ruby slippers.
1: Yeah, then they had well, all come together just... and it opened yeah. up. Yeah, I guess the it that's was all court, that all feeds like, into, into the, the, the whole mindset. Thing. Okay, yeah, okay. Totally. But still like making him click you know <laughs> i thought that was kind of lame it's weird man <laughs> it like oh it it's because oi didn't click like oh my gosh the goat thing has to click his heels like all right it's like a dog that's how i, I it think it's like a goat in my mind
0: i picture Oi as like a like a half dog half like um like possum kind of oh. thing
1: Probably because Billy like Bumble is like a billy goat. He has like little curled horns in my head. like He looks like a mountain goat Oh, in really head. interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't picture him like that at all. Oh, really? I, yeah. I've like
0: seen pictures of Oi and stuff though. Oh, I was okay. Like, I like went well, down the hall.
1: Artistic render it, renditions. <laughs> have They're you seen pictures. one drawn by They're Stephen real. King himself? No. I think he looks I like a goat. That. A cute little goat. Dude, have you seen a miniature goat? They're like the cutest animals They're adorable. in the world. I would totally own one. Apparently they make really good house pets too. If you guys are having a bad day, just like Google mini goat. And you know, there's little like pictures of people coming home and them just like clunk, 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 like jumping their way to it is the most adorable thing that you will see this week, I guarantee it.
0: Well, now that we've talked about miniature goats, uh, I think that we're, that's a good place to wrap up this episode. What do you think?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think miniature um... mini goats is a good place to end it. And you know, I think there's a new one that we can end with this one. And let's see if you can remember the response to it which is uh may your luck rise uh, i don't remember <laughs> the response is may your luck uh and may's may your may yours rise twice
0: oh well
1: because he says that right at the end of the fight or right before the fight he's like may your luck rise and he's like may yours rise twice
0: well damn i feel like not a very good dark tower fan so i'll just it's leave only you said with, once i'll just leave you with long days and pleasant nights
1: And may you all and you, Evan, have twice the number.
0: Everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode and for reading along with us on this journey toward the Dark Tower that I'm taking for the second time and Chad's taking for the first time. Oh, boy. All right, so
1: now... Love uh, it all the time.
0: It's like we just finished Goblet of Fire, and now things are about to get real.
1: Yeah, straight up. (laughs) It's kind of the same. I'm I'm so excited. I'm going to read more tonight.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, we are clear to do that. Uh, Everybody, hope you all have an awesome rest of your day, and of course, happy
1: reading. Bye, everybody.